4, verses 1 through 7. This is our last evening uh, looking on these verses, thinking about these verses. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We've been here for several weeks talking about worship as we have been moving our way verse by verse through Genesis 1 through 11. And so uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, here is what we read. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. We have now come to our fifth and final message from these verses. And much of our time has been spent seeking to apply to our situation the central truth of these verses. And the central truth that we have focused on is that there is a kind of worship that is acceptable to God, and there is a kind of worship that is unacceptable to God. There is a kind of worship that God regards as an able, and there is a kind of worship that God does not regard, as we see exemplified here in Cain. And so we've been asking the question, what is the kind of worship that truly pleases God? Now before we continue to answer that question, I do want to draw our attention to verse 7. To verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Listen to this warning though. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you but you must rule over it. That is a key verse in our passage that impresses upon us how utterly important this subject is, how utterly important it is that we seek to worship well. Why? Because our God clearly teaches in these verses, and in particularly verse 7, that if we are unfaithful in our worship, then we are giving sin an opportunity to come in and to seek to conquer us. If we are unfaithful in our worship on Sundays, sin is going to try and get a foothold, but it's not going to stay there. It's going to creep into our Mondays and our Tuesdays in our Wednesdays. Its desire is for us, and its desire is not a good desire. It's a desire to rule over us, though we should rule over it. When we worship well, which means worshiping obediently. We are killing sin in our lives. When we humble ourselves to worship as God has required, we are killing our pride. We are killing our selfishness. We are humbling ourselves and finding joy in our God. But when we worship disobediently, when we are worshiping sinfully, then we are allowing sin to gain a foothold in our lives and in our church which it will not easily give back up. 
If we are not obedient in our worship, sin is creeping in, it is at the door, and it wants to jump in on us and lead us away from God. The image here is of a lion, or uh, some scholars say that for Cain, this would have actually been an image of a demon uh, who was about to pounce, and yet uh, we are called to rule over sin, not it over us. Now, if, if we are gods, sin will never ultimately reconquer us. Uh, it will never again have full sway over us as it once did before we were saved. God will give us the grace to rule over sin instead. He will give us the ability to kill sin, and He's doing so this very moment through this means of grace of preaching. His grace is sufficient. His Spirit is alive within us. And if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. How could Cain have fought back against this sin that was seeking to pounce on him? What should Cain have done after God confronted him with disregard for his offering? We both know what he should have done. He should have repented. He should have humbled himself and changed his ways and been careful to give God the worship he deserved. The reason sin gained a foothold on Cain's life is because Cain refused to humble himself and to worship appropriately. Cain could have kept the upper hand against sin if he had just repented and turned again to God rather than being angry at God. Cain refused to take responsibility. He refused to own up to his sin. He refused to call sin, sin. He refused to humble himself before Almighty God and he refused to make a commitment to change and to worship God well. Rather, he gave in to sin's desire to dominate him. And the ultimate result was the death of his brother. I want to point that out because I hope you don't think that I'm making too much of all this. I hope you don't think that how we worship is really not that important because the Bible speaks so clearly on this. And Cain is a warning to us. If we choose to worship in any old way, not only are we forfeiting so many great blessings for ourselves that would overflow in us and end up blessing our community and our world, but we're also giving sin an open door into our fellowship. Church, we have spiritual enemies. You know that, don't you? We have enemies. Enemies that, that, that want to see this church divided. Enemies that want to see this church burdened with sin. Enemies that would love to see this church broken and disordered. Sin it can be very subtle. And we can be very quick to dismiss it. And yet we need not be deceived. Temptations to sin are all around us and God's Word is a sure lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And if we hide God's Word, including what it says about worship, into our hearts and allow it to affect our actions, it will help us to not sin against God. It will help us to worship in a way that brings glory to Him and ultimately brings us the joy of our salvation and brings us delight. Worshiping correctly is one key way in which we kill sin and grow in holiness. Worshiping well is a part of our Christian warfare. 
Soldiers must be careful to do what is right, to do things that are right, because their lives are on the line. We are soldiers, church. We are soldiers in a war against the devil and the world and the remaining sin in our lives. And we must be careful to fight well and we must be careful to use our weapons appropriately. And one weapon that God has given us to kill our enemies of sin, Satan, the world, the flesh, one one weapon He has given us, a powerful weapon, is the weapon of worship. But what happens when you turn the gun this way? See, if you don't handle the weapons well, they end up doing more damage than good. And so we must, for the glory of God and for our own good, worship well. Now we've already learned in seeking to apply this to our situation that God has given us elements which he has called New Testament churches to have in their worship. The four that we've already seen are the public reading of Scripture. We're to have the public reading of Scripture. We're to have prayer We're to have the preaching of God's Word. And we're to have the singing of truth into one another's ears. These are four elements that God has commanded us to include in our worship of Him. We could add to these the offering, I think, from 1 Corinthians 16.2. If you want to go read that, 1 Corinthians 16.2 talks about the offering. Uh, The Lord's Supper uh, ought to be a regular part of our worship. The Bible doesn't say how often to do it. It just says as often as you do it. And as soon as we're going to be doing it, 1 Corinthians 11. And so these are elements of our worship that God has said, here is how I want you to worship me. But I want to close this brief study of worship that we've been in by stating clearly what I believe the Scriptures teach is of first and primary importance in the worship of God. Namely this, that acceptable worship always springs from a humble, happy heart that loves God and reveres Him. It is ultimately the heart that matters most. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. Psalm 62, 8. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. Psalm 86, 12. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Psalm 119, 10. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Psalm 119, 161, 162. Think about Jesus confronting the religious leaders of his day. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as commandments. See, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Jesus said that the worship of the religious leaders and of the people of Israel in his day was in vain externally. 
What they were doing externally was not acceptable. They were teaching as doctrines the traditions or commandments of men. But that false external worship flowed from the false internal worship of their hearts. Their hearts were far from God. When it comes to worship, one command that God says loud and clear to us is this. Put your heart into it. If it isn't genuine, if it isn't accompanied by real thankfulness, real love, real wonder at the person and work of our God, then our worship is just a charade. It's an offense to God. Sing all the songs you want. Pray all the prayers you want. Give a million dollars in the offering plate. If your heart is far from God, it's vain. Now, wait a minute. If it's what's in the heart that matters most, doesn't that mean we shouldn't worry about the externals? Doesn't it mean that, that if it's the heart that matters most, we shouldn't worry about worshiping well and following what God tells us to do externally, you know, the, the singing of songs and the preaching of the Word? It doesn't matter if we get that wrong as long as our heart is in the right place. Is that what you're saying, Justin? Of course not. What I'm saying is this, and I think this will make sense to you, if we really have a heart for God, if we truly trust Him, if we truly love Him, if we truly believe that His ways are best, we will strive to worship Him well externally, but it will flow from a heart that first wants to worship Him well internally. Love for God internally will result in obedience to God externally. This is how our God has loved us. He loved us in His being, but then He showed or expressed that love in His actions. So also we are to love God in our being, in the very depths of our souls, and then we are to express that love for our God in action, faithful, obedient, joyful actions. Consider Cain. If Cain's heart had been right, he would have made sure his offering was right. He would have done what was right had he truly reverenced God with his heart. Hebrews 11.4 Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So according to the Hebrew writer, the, the key distinction between Cain and Abel was that Abel offered his offering in faith. Faith was the difference. Abel truly trusted God. Abel truly loved God. And Abel was truly expressing gratitude and honor in the offering he brought. I think that's why he brought the best of what he had, right? He brought the firstborn. He brought the fat portions, which in the Old Testament, they're the good portions, we don't see that with Cain. He doesn't appear to have, have had that thankfulness to God, that reverence for God, that love for God. Faith! Now, I said that genuine worship always springs from a humble, happy heart that loves and reveres God. I want to focus on four words there briefly. Humble, happy, that loves God, reveres God. So humble, happy, love, and reverence. Humble, happy, love, reverence. Listen to Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God 
are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Did you hear that? Here we are trying to learn together as a church what is the kind of worship that God regards? What is the kind of worship that God accepts? And here we have a wonderful promise in Scripture. Psalm 51, 17. What is the kind of worship that God regards? I can tell you this. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. You want God to be pleased with your worship? Worship Him with humility. Worship Him with humbleness. Worship Him with a broken and contrite heart in His presence. The key to genuine worship is humility. We must not approach God with pride in our hearts, but as a needy people, as people who are poor in spirit. The heart full of self, has no room for God to pour in it His grace. The heart must empty itself of self so that it can receive the grace of God. As worshipers, we are to humble ourselves so that Christ might be all the more lifted up in our lives. Listen to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite and spirit and trembles at my word. Don't you want God to look at you? In that passage, God looking at you is a a sign of His blessing, a sign of His favor, an expression of His love. God's face shining on us. At the cross, Jesus carried our iniquity and sin upon Himself and God turned His face away. But God looks at the humble. God pours His gaze, His favor, His blessing on the humble. And so we should worship with humility. But do not think that humility and being morbid go together. Because they don't. There is no contradiction in saying that we should worship God with humility and joy. We come in with humility because we are great sinners. But we come in with joy because Jesus is a great Savior. Amen? And so we have reason for joy. We are to approach God with joy. For whatever we might be brokenhearted about, He is willing and able to care for us and He will bring us into everlasting joy. A heart that comes into the worship of God unhappy is a heart that is caught in the sin of unbelief. Because if we believe His promises, if we believe God's Word, we cannot help but be happy when we approach Him. We may be sorrowful because of events in our lives, but even underneath that sorrow, there is a happiness. Not a, a glibness. Not a, I'm not talking about something that's superficial and shallow. I'm talking about a deep-seated happiness that can rejoice in God even when they're dealing with cancer, even when you're dealing with a lost job, even when you're dealing with whatever. 
through your tears, you can say, I rejoice in my God, for He is able to bring me through this. A heart that can't rejoice at all in God is a heart caught up in unbelief, refusing to hold fast to the promises of God. And so when we come, we're to come in faith, holding fast to those promises, and therefore we're to come with joy. I could quote so many verses to show you that we are to come to God in joy. Let me read you just one passage that is representative of many others like it. Probably know it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with... With what? Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Come into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations for the Lord is good. In other words, here's reason for you to enter His gates with praise. He's a good God and His love is steadfast. So when we come together as a church, we have reason to praise. We have reason to be glad. The other two words I mentioned were love and reverence. We're to worship God with hearts of love and with hearts of reverence. Those who approach God in worship are to do so because they love Him. In both Isaiah and Amos, God looks at the worship of His people and He tells them, put it away from me. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your singing. I don't want your offerings. Take them away from my sight. And the reason He said that to His people in both Isaiah and Amos is He could see through it. He could see their hearts and He knew it was a facade. It was a charade. And the way He knew it is He tells them, the rest of the week, you're taking advantage of people. You're not caring for the poor. You're I'm trying to think of the right word. Yeah, they were, they were taking advantage of those around them and living in immorality. And so God said, if you're living that way on Monday through Friday, uh, you don't truly love me. So when you come and bring me your worship on the Sabbath, it's refused. And the point is simply this. We're to love God. We're to love God in our worship. We're not to pretend to love God. We're not to come in with our lips saying, I love God, while Monday through Saturday we're denying it with our actions. No, we're to genuinely be lovers of God. When God looks on us, He should see lovers of God, lovers of one another, lovers of the lost. If we are not loving, we do not belong to God. Because God is love. And our love comes from Him. He pours it out into our hearts. We bask in His love for us, given us in Christ Jesus. We dwell in it. We think on it. We meditate on it. And we overflow in that love. And then we get involved in overflowing it back to God and overflowing it to God through overflowing it onto one another and the lost. We show that we are God's children when we imitate Him in our love. We are to approach God with love. We're also to approach God with reverence. This is very clear. Hebrews 12, 28, 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, listen to this, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Okay, writer of Hebrews, what is acceptable worship? 
Well, he gives us a little hint. With reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When he says acceptable worship there, he is probably speaking of the externals, the tangibles. Make sure you're worshiping correctly. But as you're worshiping correctly, make sure that it's accompanied by reverence. Don't forget the God you're worshiping. He's a consuming fire. He speaks the word and you cease to exist. He speaks the word and you just folded dust in your chair and there's a neat little pile of dirt in your chair and you're gone. It's the God you worship. Treat Him as some good old buddy in the sky who's just up there and has good thoughts about you, but you know, kind of helpless, just wants the best, wishes He could do more. This is God, the true God, the sovereign God. Show some reverence. Now, I want to uh, be clear at the end of this study what I believe God is calling us to and, and one of the things that I as a pastor long to see more of in our church. I want to see more of it in my life. I want to see more of it in your life. I want us to see this together. Here's what I'm calling us to. Greater earnestness in worship. Greater seriousness? Absolutely. Our God is worthy of that. Greater joy? Absolutely. Getting the elements of worship right? Yes, let's do that. But let our worship be accompanied by earnestness. I long for greater earnestness in our prayers. I long for greater earnestness in our singing. I long for greater earnestness even as we listen to the sermon. I long for greater earnestness in our worship. Let me tell you why this is a concern to me. It seems to me that lifeless worship, half-hearted worship, is a symptom of a much deeper illness. In fact, play doctor with me for a moment. And let's see, what, what would be a deeper illness that would cause us, call ourselves Christians, to worship our God half-heartedly and without earnestness? It seems to me there's only two possible reasons a Christian might fail to worship God with earnestness. The first is just ignorance. I don't mean that in a negative word either. I don't, I don't mean it as a negative thing. I just mean maybe some Christians don't worship God with the oomph that they ought because they've never been taught. Maybe, maybe we haven't learned how seriously God takes worship. Maybe we haven't learned what the Bible calls us to. Maybe we've just never taken time to think about the fact that our worship is instrumental in declaring the worth of our God to our world. Maybe we've never taken time to understand that God uses our worship to shape our thinking about who He is and to grow us in the faith. Maybe we've never been informed about how the way we worship affects our brothers and sisters in Christ around us, as well as unbelieving visitors who might be with us. Perhaps our problem is ignorance. And friends, if that's the ailment, Praise God, you can fix that one. <laughs> you can fix ignorance. That's what we've been doing over these last several weeks. We've been curing the ailment of ignorance. If, if ignorance about worship has been your issue, let it stop now and praise God with the earnestness He deserves. 
But as we try and understand why someone might not worship God with the earnestness he deserves, it might be possible that the ailment is not ignorance. This is the ailment that scares me a bit more. Because if ignorance isn't the problem, and we know what we ought to be doing and we're not doing it, then it seems to me that a lack of genuine love and reverence for God is the problem. Maybe some of us do not worship with earnestness because we do not want to. We don't feel inclined to. We don't feel like it. There's nothing in our heart that wants to. We just don't have the desire. We don't have the will. Friends, a heart that is slow to worship God with the earnestness He deserves is one of the first signs of a Christian who may be about to backslide and head towards falling away from our Savior. It's a serious issue. It's a warning sign that if you don't act now to work on your heart, to care for your heart, to tend to your heart and say, heart, we've got to get to the bottom of this. You can't hear these truths and not be rejoicing, heart. Heart, why are you not rejoicing? Are you hard as a rock? This is serious. We do understand that it is possible to fall away from God and still come to church, right? If your heart is lacking earnestness, pray for God's grace so that you can recover your love and reverence for God that will cause you to worship as you ought. If you do not worship on Sunday with a heart that loves God, are you going to have a heart that wants to obey God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Because the same heart that has no desire to give God the honor He's due on Sunday is not going to have the desire to give God the honor He's due at work tomorrow. So this is serious. Your Christian walk is in danger. Your testimony is in danger. The reputation of Jesus Christ is in danger. Now, do not misunderstand me. I am not calling us to sheer emotionalism. I am not saying that we need to get all caught up in turning our brains off during worship and just getting caught up in feelings. That is not, 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 that is not what I'm saying. Are we clear? I am talking about having the kind of heart that loves God enough to turn the brain on during worship. That says, you know what? Maybe I stayed up too late last night and I'm a little tired, but, but brain, turn on and pay attention to this sermon and let's worship God well as we listen. Or brain, I know you're, you might be feeling a little sleepy, but we're praying together as a church now. We're praying together as a church family. Focus on this prayer. Pray with the congregation. When it's over, let's join with a hearty amen. Let's worship. I'm calling us to the kind of hearts that call us to be involved talking about having the heart to sing praises to God mightily and loudly, not out of sheer emotion, but because you understand that the truths of God deserve to be sung that way. And it's good for your brothers and sisters to hear it sung that way. If we remember what God has done for us, 
For remember how He gave His Son for us and even now is saving us and sanctifying us and bringing us to Himself. Can we doubt His good intention in giving us these commands about worship? He is not giving us these commands about worship because He has bad intentions for us. This is for our good just as it is for His glory and therefore we should worship God from the heart. Justin, you make it sound so easy. But that's not real life. Justin, there are times when my heart simply does not feel worshipful. What can I do? What can you do if your heart isn't, isn't worshiping inwardly as it ought? I'm going to close this sermon with some very practical, very practical suggestions of how to reignite the fires of your heart. Number one, when you sense that your heart is growing cold and is lacking the the earnestness that God deserves, pray. Pray first. Ask God to be gracious to give you the heart of earnestness you ought to have. Our hearts are in God's hands. You understand that, right? (laughs) He can speak and make them move however He wants. And He calls to us and He says, Ask and you will receive. So if you want a heart of earnestness for God, ask I doubt there are many other prayers that God likes more than that one. God, help me love you more. I think as a father looks at his child and hears that prayer, he says, I'm going to answer that one. I think God honors those prayers. Second, seek to worship well with the capacity you have. If you don't feel very worshipful and your heart is having a hard time rejoicing in the Lord, seek to worship with the best of what you have. Don't just give up. Don't say, I'm not feeling it today, so I'll just stand here or sit here and endure this. No. Seek to worship God with what you've got. Sing loud even when you don't feel like it because God's glory is worth it and it's good for your brothers and sisters to hear it. Listen to the sermon as best you can. Try and be engaged in the prayers with whatever heartfelt strength you have. And God will see this. He will see that you are striving to obey, striving to show reverence for Him, even when the feelings aren't there. And He will honor that. And He will eventually bring you through that time of dryness. And He will bring you into a time of lavish rain of His blessings. Trust Him and do what you can to honor Him with the heart you have. I believe that God is perhaps more greatly honored when a saint who is struggling inwardly to worship continues to persevere and strives to do it anyway. That shows real love for God. Real love for God isn't pure emotions. Real love strives to honor God even when the emotions have dwindled and need to be rekindled. By the way, sometimes it's in the worship that God brings the spark, that brings the fire again. Did you know that? William Cooper, friend of John Newton, wrote Amazing Grace. William Cooper wrote a lot of hymns that we sing. One of the hymns that he wrote that we don't really sing because I hadn't figured out how to play it yet, but one of the songs that he wrote that I think is fantastic is his song, Sometimes, just listen to this first verse, Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord rising with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining... He grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain. Sometimes it's when we're singing the truths of God that God uses that to bring the spark that brings the zeal back. 
Now, what if this continues long term? What if you go weeks or even months with a heart that is struggling to find joy in God? What can you do? Certainly you should spend time meditating on who God is. You should seek to let the wonder of our God strike you anew. Learn about the Father. Learn about the Son. Be informed about the Holy Spirit. Marvel at the character of your God. Get into the Bible. Get into a good book that opens up the Bible to you. And use these means of grace to light a match to the tender of your heart. This is serious, folks. Hear this. Maybe you're not here tonight, but maybe you will be three months from now. Remember this. Spend time meditating on the cross and your salvation. It is hard for me to imagine how anyone can spend time learning about and thinking about the cross and not coming away with a softened heart that desires to worship God. Maybe you are going through a spiritual drought in your life and it seems like God is so far away. It feels like your prayers don't make it past the walls. You strive to study your Bible, but you're just not finding the delight there that you've known in the past. Your heart just seems kind of dead to the things of God. Perhaps you've begun to despair that God has forsaken you, or even that He's removed His love from you. Look to the gospel. Look to the cross. Your salvation, listen church, listen, your salvation does not depend on how close you feel to God. Did you hear that? Your salvation does not depend on whether you feel God's presence or whether the Bible is bringing you delight. Oh, we want those things to happen. We want them. If you, if you really have tasted God and seen He is good, you want those, but your salvation does not hinge on those. Praise God, your salvation is in Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you have been justified, Christian. You have been counted righteous in God's eyes because of Jesus. And He bore the hell your sins deserved at the cross. And so even in your dark time of spiritual depression, the gospel reminds you that behind the frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. His love for you has not changed. Your salvation has not been lost. You have not been forsaken. And all will work out for your good. Just because there may be storm clouds in the sky doesn't mean the sun has ceased to exist. It will shine again. So look to the gospel. Remember your identity in Christ as a son of God, as a pilgrim in this world headed for heaven. Remember that there is nothing that is good for you that God is withholding from you, but He has chosen to lavish every spiritual blessing upon you in Christ Jesus and that your future in paradise is secure through Him. Remember these things. Bring these truths to mind. Look into this light and let the beams just flow on you until your heart melts and you break down into worship again. That's the cure for spiritual depression. Look to your God. Look to the gospel. There is such a thing as spiritual depression. There are valleys that Christians go through that can cause their flame of love in their hearts to die down. Don't despair if you are going through such a time, but rather seek the remedies I've just mentioned and seek to persevere even through the valley and worship God with what you have. Give 100% of what you have. 
If your tank's a quarter full, give it all. Maybe God will give you more tomorrow. Maybe He'll give you more tomorrow. God will be glorified. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will be well served. And we will often find that it is in these times of spiritual barrenness that we grow the most. So friends, by God's grace, let us seek to worship well. Let us worship from our hearts. Amen? All right. Are there any questions about things that were said this morning uh, or this evening uh, or in this study about worship that you would